Happy New Year. This is our first gathering of 2020, and I want to draw your attention to the book of Luke this morning. I'm going to give you a heads up. That's where we're going to be in chapter one. So if you have your Bible, your electronic Bible, you can grab that and and get ready. We're going to pick up in verse five. We have a family tradition in in our family, um, usually takes place on on Christmas Eve. It might take place on a different night, depending on scheduling. And it happened for us two weeks ago on Sunday night because some of us were traveling. And so we got together for this tradition that we have. I've, Becky and I have five kids, and we have three son-in-laws. We have uh, 10 grandkids. Uh, my son is dating someone, so she was there. So we had, just to paint the picture, that we have, you know, a lot of people in our house. And the tradition is this. Becky and I buy Christmas pajamas for all the grandkids. And so the first thing we do when they get there is they open up that gift and they all go change into these festive pajamas. And so they're running all over the house. And then we have a meal together. And my oldest daughter, Courtney, tends to kind of take charge of that and plan, make arrangements. And so we have this meal together. And then Becky and I, I know this is a little weird, but we do stockings for our five adult, eight adult kids. And we fill them up with all these little gifts. Okay, so, okay, I'm not the only one. And so that's, that's a, a part of the evening. And then our, our adult kids do a gift exchange with each other. And so that's a part of the evening. And then we do um, this thing called bingo. And Becky and I buy a bunch of gifts from the 99 cent store. And we put together this box and we play bingo. Everybody plays. They get to pick a prize when they win. And, and so it's a, it's a big thing in my family. I know it might not seem like much to you, but to us it's a big thing. Oh, there's something else too. The grandkids get to open their presents from their parents. So this particular year, two weeks ago, Presley, my grandson Presley, his dad had purchased tickets later in the evening, tickets to go see the new Star Wars movie. Yeah, because we're kind of a Star Wars. We just got back from Disneyland and I was a geek in the whole Star Wars land, you know. I didn't have a lightsaber on my shoulder like many of the guys my age did, but you know, anyways... And so he was really excited to go see Star Wars. And so he kept coming to me and saying, Papa, when are we going to open the presents? When are we going to open the presents? I go, well, you know the tradition. You know the, you know, and far be it for me to break the tradition and the order of things. And so he was a little bit panicked. And I'm not kidding. Every 30 or 40 seconds, he would come up to me and say, Papa, when are we going to open the presents? Because I have to leave. My my dad said we have to leave at 830. And so when are we going to open the presents? Presley, go, go enjoy your meal. Okay, when are we going to open the presents? Go, go, you know, get your pajamas on. Okay, when are we going to open the, when are we, and he just, he, he was so, he was, he was panicked, waiting for the moment for me to say, okay, it's time to open the presents, because he didn't want to miss the presents before he went to see the movie. Let me ask you, what are you waiting for? As you look at 2020, and one of the things that we often do is we begin to set goals or we set, what do we call them? New Year's resolutions. We, we call them a lot of different things that usually have certain characteristics. But it's, it's just, it's natural for us to finish a year, begin a new year, and begin to ask these kinds of questions. And I want, you, I want to encourage you to ask it this way this year. What am I waiting for? What am I waiting for God to do. 
Can we just be honest? And, and is that a fair way to maybe challenge that in our own thinking, to just be real and say, you know what? The reality is when I lay out these goals, I lay out these, these New Year's resolutions, if I really look at those things, I might be able to really summarize them in this way. I'm really waiting for God to do something, to make a change in some aspect of my life. What are you waiting for God to do? I, I made a list of possibilities, and you can add to this. I would encourage you, if you've not done this, to, to write down your answer to this question. What am I waiting for God to do? Are you waiting for Him to reconcile a broken relationship that's been going on for a while? Are you waiting for God to bring you a clean bill of health, to hear the word, you're in remission? For me, it was when they took the cancer out of my nose a while back, he said, and I'll never forget it, he said, I got it all. Yes. What are you waiting for God to do? A new job? A better job? Are you waiting for God to give you clarity of purpose and place, what he wants to do in you this year, and how and where and when he wants to do it? I say this very carefully, because my wife is here. Are you waiting on God to bring change into your spouse's life? Don't look, at the, don't look at them if they're sitting next to you. This is not a good time. Are you waiting for God to bring home a prodigal child? You have an adult child that it's, they've been a prodigal, and you've been praying, and you've been setting goals, and you've been asking God, are you waiting for God to bring home a prodigal child? Or if, if you're in this situation, are you waiting for God to show you His will? Who should I marry? What college should I go to? What career do you have for me? What do you want me to do with my life? God, I've been asking you, and I'm waiting to hear from you. What's your answer to that? Are you waiting on God to give you peace over your past? Some of you have been asking God to set you free from your past for a long time, and it feels like you're waiting on Him to bring that about. What about to give you victory over a struggle with sin? As you look back over 2019, was there a sin that gripped you, that particularly gripped you, and, and your, your honest desire is to be set free from that and to live in victory in 2020? God, please. You ever been there? God, please set me free from this. Please restore this relationship. Please show me what your will is. Maybe it's this. I want a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus. Someone told me this this morning. They said, life just gets in the way. You set goals to, to spend time with him and grow deeper, and then life just gets in the way. And, and if I'm honest, some of us would say, every new year I'm saying the same thing. I know the year's gone by, and God, I'm waiting for you Please, I want a more intimate relationship with Jesus. Some of you are waiting for the economy to get better or for the better economy to somehow touch you, right, and to show up in your life. Some of you are waiting for God to change our government, change our leaders. See, there's a long list that we could make. And if we're honest, we just stop and say, God, when it comes down to it, I know I have a part in it, but it really feels like I'm waiting on you. Just like Presley so desperately wanted to open his presence. God, I want to see you move. I want to see you work in my life, in my family, in my community, in my church, in my world. God, I'm waiting on you. How many like waiting? Okay, good. We have, we have if nothing else, we have a church family that is totally honest. Nobody likes to wait. Our text this morning as we take another step into Luke, 
The Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, verse 5, is about a man named Zechariah who is also waiting. Look at verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. They weren't, he wasn't just a priest in title. He was living this out, him and his wife, faithfully. But, how many like that word? Okay, good. We're on, we were on a roll. We, that's our new, new commitment this year. We're going to be honest. But, they had no children. They had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. What does that say to you? What that says to me is that they've been waiting for a very long time. Now, Presley just had to wait a matter of hours. Some of the things that I mentioned before, some of us, let's just be real, some of us have been waiting for those things to be transformed for years, right? Some on that list are on your list. Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth had been waiting on God for a child, and now they're at that season of life where, humanly speaking, it just, it, they've kind of maybe just, re, just resolved themselves or they've come to terms with, honey, it's probably not going to happen. I know, I know. We've been waiting for a long time for this to happen, and now this season of life, we're well along in years, it's probably not going to happen now, this is not the focus this morning, but I want to point out something that I think is important that I want to make sure we notice that in those verses that we read, Zechariah is in this season of waiting. He's been in this season of waiting for years, possibly decades. But did you notice how he is living in this season of waiting? When I said, who likes to wait? Nobody raised their hand. Nobody likes the season of waiting. When we went to Disneyland a couple of weeks ago, we, we got there on the first day and we waited three hours in the security line just to get up to go through the ticket line to then go inside and spend the day waiting in other lines. That's Disneyland. I love it, but that's what it is. They closed the park about 1 p.m., said, we're full. We're so crammed full, we can't bring anybody else into the park today. So you know what I did that day? A lot, right? Five minutes on a ride and then two hours doing what? Waiting. And I'm not waiting by myself. I'm waiting with? Kids, yes, and strollers and everything else that comes with it. Nobody likes to wait. In this waiting, and I'll be honest with you, there were moments that I found in the three days we were there, I found myself asking, whose decision was this? <laughs> I agreed, apparently, yes, at some point, but, but who, who, you know, Christmas, it's beautiful, the lights, yeah, it's all it was, it was amazing, but now I'm sitting here waiting. And I'm just telling you, there were moments where my attitude on, in the happiest place on earth, my attitude was not super happy. What do we see in Zechariah? This is much more heavy. They've been waiting for possibly decades for God to, to provide a child. What do we find him doing? He's faithfully serving as a priest of God. Now think about that. He's representing God as he interacts with people, as people come and bring their sacrifices, and they worship God, and he aids them in worshiping God while he's waiting. We see in the verses that we read that he, he is applying God's instructions to his own life. It's not just a title. It's not just something he tells other people. Him and Elizabeth are living it. They're living this righteous life, this life of faith. And he grows old, not receiving an answer to his prayer. 
I've lost count how many times I've had people ask me this question, how long does God want me to be in this painful moment? And you know what my answer is every time? I don't know. I don't know. And I've had people ask me that question that have been in this waiting period for decades. When is my child going to acknowledge Jesus Christ and come? When will we be restored? When will my health, when will this relate? It can go on a very long time. And it had gone on a long time for Zachariah and Elizabeth, and yet we see they continue to trust God. And I'll say this, I'll summarize him. He remains committed to God's plan for his people. The very nature of his job, the very nature of his role is to show up every day and represent Jehovah to the people, to show the people who Jehovah is, that he's good, that he's faithful, that they're bringing the sacrifices is not an exercise in futility. In fact, it's how you come to interact with God, and it's worth it. You following me? Can you picture that? Here he is waiting for this answer from God. We just want a child. God, could we please have a child? And every day he has to go into work and he sees people interact. He leads people in their interaction with the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the provision of God. You're bringing sacrifices because God is faithful to forgive when we confess. And he loves us and we're his people and his plans for can you just hear the Old Testament promises ringing through his ear day after day? I love this man. I love the example that he gives us. Now, why do I think he is this kind of man? And I'm going to summarize it with this statement, and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit. I believe it's because he, he personally knows who God is. You see, his circumstances, his waiting is not the foundation for his understanding of who God is. The foundation of his relationship with God is his understanding of who God has revealed himself to be, and by faith, he embraces it and lives it. Are we together? It's easy to say, isn't it? Much harder to do, to live. But Zechariah models for us what a life would look like even in a period of waiting, this list of things that we're waiting for God to do because he knows who God is. And if you go back up to verse 4, you'll be reminded of the purpose of this gospel. Why, why is Luke even recording this for us? Why is he in his research and in his attempt to put together through the Holy Spirit's power, an accurate record of the things that have happened. Why does he give significant time to this man, Zechariah? Because he wants us to know Jesus with certainty and to be able to make Jesus known with clarity. Look at verse 4. So that you may know the certainty of the things about which you've been instructed. I love that the word things in our English Bible is from the Greek there is logos. You recognize that word? The word. The written word, the living word, this is a, a term that was used to describe Jesus. He tells Theophilus, Luke does, that I've done this so that you would know the certainty of the things, of the word about which you have been instructed. And with that goal, that purpose in mind, he opens up pretty early right at the beginning of his, no of his novel, of his gospel. He says, I want you to know about Zechariah. What's significant about Zechariah? Zechariah was in a really tough situation. He was in a period of waiting with his wife. Maybe decades they were waiting for an answer from God. And I want you to know that as he, as he struggled through and as he grappled with the waiting, 
and not having an answer, I want you to know that he served God, and he served him faithfully, and he walked with God. Because at the end of the day, Zachariah and Elizabeth understood who God is. It's not based on the circumstances that they were walking through. It's based on what he had reveals, what he had revealed to them, what he reveals to us. I believe this year as we focus on the Gospel of Luke, we're going to walk through this Gospel, and our theme is to bring Jesus into focus. And I'm excited because it's already been transformative for me in my own walk with God as I've meditated and others who are going to be teaching. We've, we've invested in meditating on the Gospel of Luke. And here's what Luke is going to do. I'm convinced of it. He's going to engage us to know Jesus. He wants our life, our story, and his story to intersect. He's going to empower us to love Jesus. He wants us to see in the gospel who we are to Jesus Christ. The answer to why Jesus would experience what he experienced, why would he be born in a manger in Bethlehem with all that comes with that? Why would he be a, a, a simple carpenter's, you know, poor family carpenter's son? Why would he allow people to do what they did to him? Why would he teach? Why would he heal? Why would he go to the cross? Why would he allow himself to be treated that way and to be, to be executed and to be buried and to rise from the dead. The only answer is because he loves us. And when I say he loves us, he loves you. He loves you. He loves me. And Luke wants that to intersect. He wants us to be empowered to love Jesus, to have a clear understanding of just how deeply Jesus loves you and me. He's not just our creator. He's our savior. He's not just our creator, he is our savior. That's identity, that's empowerment. So who, I, who am I to him? Well, I'm his created being. Well, yeah, but he's got seven billion plus right now. And just, let's just be honest, you know, I'm not in the top 10% or whatever, you know, I mean, I, I mean come on. Okay, but I'm, I'm thankful that he created me and that I, but when you tell me he's my savior, he died for me. He endured that for me. He created me, and I was born in sin. Thank you, Dad. I was born in sin, and I, and I was a sinner from birth. I mean, I told people no as soon as I could talk, and I, my whole life I have, I've been attracted to sin, and I'm this sinful man, and yet he died knowing that he died for me. Yes. Luke wants us to have a clear understanding. He is your creator, John will do that in John chapter 1, right? In the beginning, what he will. So Luke won't focus on that so much. He'll, it's clear. But where he really hammers home is he wants us to know that Jesus is our Savior. Do you know Luke is the one that gives us the most detailed description of the crucifixion? You say, well, he's a doctor. Yeah, that's a perspective that helps. But I believe it's deeper than that. He wants you to know that he's your Savior. He created us and the world has done what it's done. Okay, so where does that leave me? He's your Savior. He's your Savior. That's what this is. And so Luke will help us to, to love Jesus. He'll empower us to love Jesus. Number three, he'll equip us to obey Jesus. Jesus himself will make it clear that the expression he's looking for, when we say we love him, he says, then obey my commands. Obey my commands. You love me? I do. Then obey my commands. That's the expression he's looking for. And Luke is going to equip us to obey Jesus. And finally, he's going to encourage us to trust him. 
I think that's really where he starts. Excuse me, I got that cold. Anybody else? So I apologize, you have to hear that. Yeah. If I don't do that, though, it's, it'll be worse. So no one would ever use this mic. This will be my mic. Hey. He will encourage us to trust Jesus right out of the gate. He tells us about this man, Zechariah. And he says, Zechariah is an example that you can trust Jesus. He will never leave you or forsake you. And so as we walk through chapter 1, we walk through chapter 1 here, we see that Gabriel appears to Zechariah and tells him he's going to have a son. You can read that in verses 18 to 25. He says, you're going to have a son. Elizabeth is going to bear a son. You need to give him the name John. Okay? He doesn't fully understand how that can happen, and that's when Gabriel says, okay, fine. You know, that's when Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I don't know if he talked that way, but you read it. He says, I'm Gabriel. Okay, now you're not going to be able to talk because you didn't believe me. So he comes out of his time of service in the temple, and he can't talk. And then as we read further in verses 26 to 38, we see Gabriel then goes to a young lady named Mary and announces that she's going to give birth to a son. And he confirms with her, Gabriel does, that Elizabeth is also going to have a son, and his name is going to be John. And so in chapter of 1, verses 39 to 56, catch this, we see the first baby shower. So there's a biblical precedent for baby showers. Elizabeth and, and Mary get together, and they, ah, you know, and they play games, they stick things on their forehead, you know, and they do all that kind of stuff. You can read about it in 39 to 56. They come together, and they have this first baby shower. They celebrate what God is doing in each of their lives. And then in verses 57 to 66, Elizabeth gives birth. The family's all together. And the family says, hey, you're going to name him Zachariah, right? And, Mary, and Elizabeth says, no, his name's going to be John. And they go, you're crazy, lady. It's postpartum. You know, we get it all. You know, his name, there's nobody named John in your family. And they hand a tablet to uh, Zachariah, and he writes down on the paper, his name is John, and he instantly is able to speak again. His name is John. Now, here's what I want you to notice. In chapter 1, verse 67, he announces to his family, his name will be John. All who heard him say this took it to heart. Something's happening here. And then in verse 67, we get to hear from Zechariah. And this is where I want you to join me for a few minutes this morning, to be encouraged and to be challenged this morning. Verse 67, then his father, then John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. He proclaimed with authority, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. He said he would do this. He said it in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the clutches of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we've been rescued from the enemy's clutches, to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And child, his son, you will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high, who is that? 
That's Jesus. The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death. He will guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, we could unpack that for a very long time. There's, there's amazing pictures. There's the horn of salvation. I contemplated just the whole time this morning talking about the horn of salvation and what that means. In the dawn of the morning, what is, what is Zechariah doing? He, he is proclaiming to his family, to his son, and to us today as it was recorded by Luke, because it was recorded by Luke, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant. That's why your Bible, my Bible says the Old Testament and the New Testament. Do you know what testament means? It means covenant. It means there's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. When we celebrate communion this morning later, it's Jesus who said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is why I came. Why did you come, Jesus? Zechariah just gave us a theology lesson and why Jesus came. It was the fulfillment of God's plan from the beginning. This is a big deal. And his son, John, is going to be the prophet to, to prepare the way for people to know Jesus and to experience the fulfillment of this covenant. I, I wrote down some, some phrases that captured it for me. You're not going to be able to catch all these, but if you might catch one or two. I would encourage you to do that and write it down. There is such a clarity and confidence in Zechariah's declaration. It's a clarity and confidence that you and I need to have right now in 2020. As you move through 2020 and, and you're waiting on God to do some things and you're open to what He wants to do in your life, be very, very intentional about where you focus your thoughts and your inner life. For Zechariah, it was who he knew God to be. Here's, here's some, some phrases from the verses I just read. God knows our darkness. God knows our enemies. That's the word he uses. He knows the enemies. He knows what we're up against. God comes to us. Man, we're so guilty, I think, of, of kind of missing the true expression of, of Christmas. And I've, I've been there, getting caught up in all this stuff. God came to us. God came to you and me to, to be with us. He declares that. Zechariah gets it. He draws us to himself. He spoke of that. He draws us to himself. We couldn't get there on our own. He is our light in the darkness. Again, he knows our darkness. He knows the condition of the world and our inner being of what we struggle with. He, he, he is light that shines into that darkness. God is merciful and he's compassionate. Amen? If you're, if you're asleep, wake up right now. God is merciful and he's compassionate. We need to know that's who he is in the waiting. God redeems us. He spoke of redemption. He rescues us. He saves us. God makes and he keeps his covenants. Zechariah is so out of his head excited. It's happening. All that I've been taught as a priest, the old covenant, it's now happening. He is coming to be with us. He's keeping his, his covenant. He speaks of serving him without fear. God calls us to serve him without fear and God does all of this through Jesus. If, you, if you're new to this, this church family, you'll, you'll pick up pretty quick that we keep, man, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You keep singing about him, talking about him everywhere. People, Jesus, yes. 
Because everything that is good that we have from God comes to us through Jesus. God was willing to come and become one of us and give his life on the cross because he is our creator, but he's also our savior. He saved us because he loves us. God does all this through Jesus. I want to I want to I want to warn you about something then I want to ask you to take two steps and I'm done. The first here's the warning. And this is from my life and you if you relate to this write it down and and be warned. The greatest danger I believe in the time of waiting is that we miss what God is doing in the moment. So I'm waiting for a child. I've been praying for a child for decades. God, and, and I'm, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to keep serving him. My wife and I, we're going to keep being faithful because we know he's good. But we just keep asking, God, we would love to be parents. We would love to have a child. If you would bless us with the child. I know we're old and, and maybe it's not humanly possible, but I think you can do it. Please, would you give us a child? I'm working on that, Zachariah. Something's going to happen. But hey, the Savior is about to be born. Now, what if Zechariah was so caught up in his, his grief and his, his sadness and all he could think about was what he didn't have that he missed this part of it? You with me? That we were kind of exaggerating. I'm, 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 I know this is spiritual imagination, right? But I do believe there's a very real danger in our periods of waiting when we are waiting on God. I don't believe God ever stops moving and working. I really don't. I don't believe that fits his character at all. His day is a thousand years and all that, right? His timing's not our timing, but I don't think he's ever on vacation. I don't think he's ever at Disneyland waiting in line. I don't think he's ever distracted by what's going on in the world. He's always working and moving. The only variable is whether or not we see it and we are a part of it. So there's the warning. I believe the danger in a period of waiting is that we miss what God is saying and doing. So what do we do? Can I give you two, two suggestions? Can I make them more than suggestions? Can I make them challenges? Number one, saturate your life with God's truth. And I mean saturate it. There's no excuse. You say, well, you don't know my life. I know life is busy. But I also know the reality is that we fill our lives with many things. And we have access to God's truth just about everywhere we go. Yes? Saturate your life with God's truth. When you rise up, when you sit down at a meal, when you go to work, when you come home from work, when you're with your family. I mean, how, how many opportunities do we have when we're just gathering with our family that we could just say, hey, can we just stop for a minute? I want to talk about something. Can, I was reading this verse, and can we just read these verses together? Can we just? You say, that would feel weird. Yeah, it would, because that's not how we live. I want to talk to you about the, I don't want to talk to you about the Patriots, because that's my friend, but I, I want to talk to you about the 49ers next Saturday. You know, I want to talk to you about the Giants and their new manager. Who, who is this guy? I, I want to talk to you about my car. I want to talk to you about everything else, almost, it seems. Why not saturate our lives, every gathering? Why not intentionally bring the truth of God's Word into shape every moment? What, what about just filling my mind with the truth of His Word? Because I fill it with all kinds of stuff. That you know as well as I do that is going to mean nothing when I stand before Him one day. 
Seriously. He's not going to care. I was Googling some stuff, this because I had some questions about stuff, and I was, oh, that's really interesting. And then I remember thinking, wait a minute. Who cares? Jesus isn't going to care. Saturate your life with the Word of God. Fill it with the truth of God's Word. Think about Zachariah's surroundings. Everywhere he turned, he had reminders of who God is there in the temple and in the courtyard and in his life. The robes that he put on, the garments that he put on in the morning, did that not remind him? Could we not do, I'm not saying we wear robes, but could we not intentionally do the same thing to saturate our daily life with God's truth? And step number two is stop listening. Now hear me. Stop listening to what confuses or challenges God's character. I'm not telling you to cut off from the world because we are in the world but not of it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to and talk with people and interact with people that don't know God. We should be. But remember, in his family, his own family said, there's nobody named John in your family. That's not what God wants to do. And Zechariah says, his name is John. Now, in my mind, when he begins to talk, he addresses why his name is John. You want to know why my son's name is John? Is because God came to me and God told me to call him John. And I trust God's character. This little baby in my arms is because of God's character. There are voices internally and externally that will confuse God's character. It will ch- they will challenge God's character. It's what Satan did in the Garden of Eden, did he not? Did God really? Are you sure, God? You really believe that he has your best? What is he? He's challenging God's character. He's not even challenging God's words. Do you see that? He's actually challenging God's goodness, his faithfulness. And you and I are struggling sometimes because we allow voices to speak into our our thinking, into our lives that are confusing and challenging God's character. Stop listening. If there's a voice, if there's a voice that disagrees with what you believe, great. Interact with that person. Hear me well. I'm not saying cut off from all that's going on in our world. But if somebody is intentionally trying to confuse or challenge who God is, don't allow that voice to find a home in your heart or in your head. Are we together? Saturate our lives with the truth of God and stop listening to what confuses and challenges God's character. I believe these two steps are the key. They're absolutely key to walking through a time of waiting and displaying the life that Zechariah displayed. I think he saturated his life with the truth of God's word, the promises of God, the the covenant of old, the prophecies of old, because he gets it. He knows them. And when his own family said, no, 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 something's wrong here, there's no, no, hold on, hold on. His name is John. Why would you call him John? Because God promised this baby to us, and God delivered, because that's who God is. And his name is John. And if I hear you calling him Zachariah, I'm going to have a problem because his name is John. He knew the character of God. He saturated his life with the truth of God. And I'm just going to suggest that he would stop, as we stop listening to any voice that tries to confuse or challenge the character of God. Now, here's my last thought. That voice can come from within. That voice can come from, it can be your own voice. I've been waiting for God to do something for a very long time. Not so sure that he's ever going to, you with me? 
And then where do our thoughts and our, our heart goes, right? Maybe I'm not important to God. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's got more important things to do. Maybe he's not so good after all. So wherever that voice is coming from, you, we have to make a decision. Stop listening to it. Stop listening to it. And instead, saturate your life, your thoughts, your heart, your dreams, your desires with the truth of God's word. Let it penetrate every aspect of your life. And that will transform you and me as we walk through a season of waiting. We, uh, we have a new year ahead of us, and I have a list of things, and maybe you do too. If you don't, you probably will in the next couple of days, of things that I'm asking God. I want to see God do in my life, in my family's life, in this church's life, in this community, things that I'm asking Him to do. So in a very real sense, 2020 becomes a season of waiting to see what God's going to do. Now, what do I do in that season of waiting? I saturate my life with the truth of God's Word, and I stop listening to voices that would challenge His character. Does that make sense? One of the things that God has done this year in 2019 is to bring two church families together. And so one of the expressions of that is welcoming new members who have made a commitment to membership. And I want, I want you to join me in a moment of prayer, and then I'm going to invite um, some people to come up. And we're going to see this in coming. We've done this once. We're going to do it a couple more times. And I, it's, it's very exciting to me to see a group of God's people go against the trend of what most often happens within church life. You know what I mean by that? We tend to go the other way, right? Who picked green for these chairs? Really? Come on. That's not, you know, I mean, it can be anything. And what God is doing is he's bringing his, his body together for health and for his glory. And so I want to pray and thank him for that, and then I'm going to invite some people to come up and join me on the stage. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to your son's bride, to us Father, thank you for sending Jesus. We know he is our creator. We owe our life to him. But we praise you, Jesus, because you are our savior and you love us that deeply. And so we want to recognize this morning that what is happening in our church family, what is happening in our, in our world, in our community, the good things that are happening are because of your faithfulness. And we rejoice with you, with heaven, in what we celebrate this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.